This is the Energizing India podcast. On this program, we typically have conversations with some of the key movers and shakers in the clean energy and clean mobility sectors. So far, over two years, we have focused mostly on electric mobility and mostly on India. In this episode, we are changing the pace a bit and diving into the world of hydrogen. So, if you have been curious about this entire global hydrogen thingy-bob and what gives, how it works and what it's all about, well, then this is the episode we made especially for you. Today, we go to Sweden and meet Nielsen Energy, a company that has developed a compelling small-scale off-grid solution to generate hydrogen using solar or wind energy, which can take schools, communities or even entire small towns off-grid, facilitating a 24-7 capability to generate power using 100% renewable energy powered by a hydrogen electrolyzer and fuel cells. Their solution even generates hydrogen from the sun, which is used for clean mobility in cars and buses in the wonderful little city of Merestad, in the center of Sweden. Nielsen Energy was a startup just four years ago. But today, the company is undertaking over 25 projects at the same time and has secured funding from one of Sweden's most trusted family funds. We speak today with co-founder Martina Wetten, who is also recognized as one of the global women leaders in hydrogen. Martina, welcome to the program. Thank you ever so much. Today is a special day, Martina, because not only are we talking about hydrogen, we're talking about how hydrogen is changing the world with one of the women in hydrogen, one of the leaders from Europe who has been a mover and a shaker in the hydrogen industry for the last uh, eight, nine years maybe now and found the major mojo in the last two years, uh, having had some breakthroughs in Sweden. Uh, Martina, you are an entrepreneur. Uh, you are the co-founder of Nielsen Energy. Um, you previously worked in many different sectors, in the mining sector, in the pulp and paper industry, uh, mobility as well, and then a uh, mature stage in your career, you decided that you wanted to be an entrepreneur uh, and teamed up with two uh, different individuals to create something that had never been done before, which was take energy from the sun or energy from the wind, convert it into hydrogen and then dispense it into vehicles so that vehicles are having absolute clean energy, clean hydrogen, zero emission mobility. Five years ago, people laughed at the idea and said it's going to be incredibly expensive, can never be done, too hard to prove, uh, and yet you took the plunge, you did it. You and your team of Nielsen Energy created the world's first green hydrogen filling station at the town of Mariestad in the middle of Sweden, uh, which is now a benchmark globally that people are either trying to copy, emulate, or uh, try and do better. Um, we don't talk about hydrogen so much in India because we're still in the, in the early stages of the transition and it's all about electric, but hydrogen is coming. Um, we are at the same stage where Sweden was maybe five years ago where it was a laughable subject. So I'm interested, Martina, from your perspective, what were you thinking when you decided that you were going to take the plunge into hydrogen? Thank you so much and, th and lovely being here, um, Robin. Um, yes, well, one of the benefits of being an entrepreneur is that you don't think <laughs> too much <laughs> when you're doing it because you're driven by passion. Uh, and and the, the, the sense that you can make a difference. And for us, it has been important to underline and underscore that you can utilize um, renewable energy, you can store it for a number of different applications, mobility being one. 
but, but the sheer fact that it can be relevant to, to do small scale applications because um, even though it's it may be a laughing stock, uh, there are a few friends around the globe that have been uh, working intensely on, on small scale applications and small scale hard, hardware and they are ready. So they, they should be applied. Uh, so maybe it wasn't so much of a thinking uh, think tank on, on my side, but a passion to also to to do a really valuable um, contribution to shifting out from fossil. So you've raised an important point. You've talked about small scale. Uh, and when you look at hydrogen, particularly in India, people are talking megawatt scale. The smallest projects are 50 megawatt and, you know, the average size of the project is 20 megawatt. Nobody's talking about small scale, clearly because there is a lack of understanding or belief that small scale can be economic. Uh, and yet you have focused singularly, your, your business is about small scale. So you don't make electrolyzers, you're buying electrolyzers, but you're putting in place an, an integrated system with embedded software that controls the system to take solar or wind energy and give you hydrogen that's dispensed in a vehicle at a small scale. Um, and uh, not only have you done it successfully in your first station, you are now re recreating that in 24 locations across Sweden. That is the largest such program in the world. You've also signed a program in Australia uh, where you'll be recreating what you're doing in Sweden and Australia at a, a, at a large scale as well. A, a, a significantly large number of small scale units to put it correctly. Um, how does it work for small scale and how are the economies today? Are the people who are only focusing on large scale wrong? Have you proven that small scale is also economic? I, I think, uh, just to be very frank, it, that's done in a, in a sister company called REH2 um, currently, but um, underneath the same umbrella and family. Um, I think that with every technology, one needs to embrace that there is, there is progress. Uh, and uh, if I take this from the European Commission and the European um, perspective, there is a huge amount of money poured into uh, the electrolyzers and, and the fuel cells and, and, and the um, similar technologies. And why is that? Because we need to scale up. Obviously, we need to scale up. But we need to do that. Uh, so we need to have people like my, myself and my friends uh, who can integrate those into systems because otherwise they won't be, uh, they, they, they won't, there will be no purpose. Uh, for them, so that you need to do that. I'm. I will never ever speak badly about large-scale projects. They are needed, but what what I am underlining and underscoring is that you need to add robustness into the system. You cannot just rely upon one pipeline, which is often the case. You shouldn't do that for many different reasons, not least for security reasons, because if you add decentralized to that system, you add a new business logic, and you need to be creative. So the the equations need to be shifted. That will be my argument. Excellent. So you raise a very pertinent point, and that is uh, decentralized. Um, so let's talk about what that means. Uh, you know, you had, you've had these two pipelines coming from Russia through to continental Europe that have been blown up, and lots of intrigue on who did it, whether it was the friendlies or the or the enemies. Um, but decentralized is about delevering from the hydrocarbon molecule, or I, I often call it the tyranny of the hydrocarbon molecule, because a lot of geopolitics around the world is geared around access to oil today. And when you talk about decentralized manufacture of hydrogen, you're talking about ultra small scale where anybody can do it. You can do it in a building, in a school, uh, you can do it for a filling station, and you really do not need to be part of the grid. And you're democratizing this in, in a way, um, which is going to change the world. 
for us, I think that's what's most exciting. Um, suddenly, everybody can make energy. You do not need to be digging up big holes in sand uh, to give you access to energy, and you do not need an, a navy and an air force that protects that access to that oil, which a lot of the global defense forces have become today. So let's talk about your opinion on, on you know, that I know that is your major motivation at Nielsen Energy. So let's talk about this decentralized energy creation. I, um, again, I think it's it's important also to, to bring water into that equation because and that that's something that nearly really needs to be focused because you, you are if you are making a stationary application, you, you need to borrow water locally. You can have that recirculated, but it still needs to be, be, be water involved. So that's very important. So but you, the fact that you can utilize the, the local sun, the local wind, the local hydro, whatever you have um, um, available and really do what you just said is so important uh, and, and the fact that when I flew in uh, um, yeah, to India um, there is so much footprint already there all these factories uh, and they are not always covered by by solar but they could be and the fact that they that could make them not being dependent on on diesel for their backup systems it's a given it can happen it's, it's quite easily done um, and that's one of the things that I would like to underscore. All of these backup systems that, that are in place for a number of different reasons, security reasons, or, or for it could be to do with your, your insurances, all of these, they can be addressed. And if you start doing that, there's a movement, but you need to do it. Because if you do it, it's visible, it's tangible, and it will happen. So I would really encourage not to go, you know, wait for all the huge money that needs to be there. For, for the largest project in the world, do small stuff, because it, it, it will twinkle and it will be uh, it will become a flood. So it's a it's a good point you raise, which is every building around the world has a diesel generator, every phone uh, cell station has a diesel generator, and now not only have you got a diesel generator with an ICE engine, you've got this supply chain of diesel that needs to come to it. There's pilferage along the way. There's all sorts of costs in getting your energy, and here the Nielsen Energy solution is really about solar panels that are sitting on your roof that takes the sun and uses a, a fuel cell to create hydrogen, or uses an electrolyzer to create hydrogen and then a fuel cell to create electricity back again. Uh, very simple and yet everybody shied away from it because of the rare earths. So there's this argument that says, look, you know, you're just transferring one problem to another. You're taking the diesel hole in the ground away and then now you're doing another hole for platinum and titanium and all sorts of other rare earths um, that you need in an electrolyzer and a fuel cell. Um, I know that uh, Nielsen particularly, I know we were partnering with Nielsen to talk about this as well, to work with different universities to see how we might be able to fund programs that explore how you can convert uh, water into hydrogen and hydrogen and electricity without rare earths. But what do you say to that argument, which is, you know, you're just replacing one hole in the ground with another, even though the emissions are lower? I think there is a portion of truth uh, in that, but I, but I also think and that's one of the reasons why um, I'm so happy that we will be bringing a, an official Swedish uh, delegation here um, in this week, actually, um, to focus on the replacement of uh, and, and research because there there are there are alternatives that, that are still not commercialized but they need to be commercialized and I, I proud myself and, and not least I I I think that my my co-founder Mr. Nilsson is is so brave the way that he, that we've opened up our, our, our living lab to really try out and work with the com to, to commercialize these products because that's that's always going to be um, um, a challenge 
yes, there, there is that argument that you say. Um, and I, is it is it um, without any faults? No, no, it isn't. But one needs to be educated and understand recirculation of, of material as well as being a very intricate part of, of, of this. So um, it's not going to be solved in, in one move and not everything is, is solved by hydrogen, but the combination of and, and the realization of that the, the small scale is available um, and, and the people are aware of these issues is important. We can't just sit around. We need to utilize what, what's, what's around and, and try and make our, our best. So design for recycling is extremely important. So Bettina, uh, uh, can you define what is small scale just for our audience so that they understand where the line is between well, that's, and small? That's, 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 well, it can be anything from 0.5 uh, you know, kilowatt <laughs> up until, up until the, the megawatt scale. Uh, for us, um, maybe a small scale will be 1 to 20 megawatts uh, install capacity. And anything above that, but it's it, it's a moving it's a moving target. You've also done 250 kilowatts and 300 kilowatt projects, haven't you? Yeah, small scale, small scale indeed, and it can be very relevant. Uh, again, if you could if you could store, because there's always there's the storage of, of hydrogen as well, which which will add costs. So you need to have an equation where you can utilize what you're producing, so so that you you can go all the way full full uh, PLC if you like, uh, and also full um, value chain. Uh, if you could do that locally and, and have an understanding of that you were able to do that, you'll, it will be very successful because, because it will be relevant for you. So let's talk about Nielsen and your, your technology, which is small scale energy independence, if I were to put it any other way. Uh, how does this work? And, and independence to a level. I mean, we, I'm, I'm not against the grid. I'm not against the, the um, uh, infrastructure that's in place, but we need to be creative and work together with it so that there can be the business um, arrangements between the, the producer and the producer doesn't have to be centralized. It can be decentralized. We're working with a local grid who can be owned by somebody else. So, so that's important. What we do is, is that we make sure that these hardware and software work as a system, an integrated system in a safe manner. And one has to underline that because it's, it's, we are still dealing with compressed gas, uh, uh, sometimes a, a lot of energy um, being stored under pressure. And, and it's not for the faint hearted, I'd say, um, to, to be a, a system where to integrate and, and take full responsibility from the very first uh, um, design up until service and maintenance and make sure that it works in, in all the, the different prerequisites, um, the, the different climate, the, the different A, B and C. Uh, so I think that's what we add. Uh, and I hope that there will be many of us that, that can, because otherwise the, the technology is just there. Uh, it needs to be utilized. Um, and I, I am one of those to say that why why are these companies being, being um, um, you know, on the stock market too early because if 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 they are just focusing on the numbers of, of products and not the what the product can actually uh, acquire and, and and bring to the society there is there is a bit of a mix of of um, a reasoning there so I'd, I'd underline long-term money it's important to have long-term money in the hydrogen industry so you've looked at the world uh, and today you focus on europe and we know that one of the problems that nielsen faces is that your demand uh, is more than you can supply and you are constrained in many ways by your partner suppliers uh, people giving you electrolyzers fuel cells are all booked out for 24 months um, 
do you see that changing or do you see a need for some sort of dissonance to happen in the market because today the move to small scale hydrogen or even large scale hydrogen is really being constrained by the inability of the present suppliers yes. to um, to facilitate this growth yeah i think that's what really is setting us apart is that we have been long term since day one we have really invested in our relations which which means that I hope my my suppliers and, and and partners are confident that we know what we are doing, and I think one of the the things that has been really um, under underscored, if we take that to the European Commission again, is the fact that we need to to um, take away the, the the threshold that knowledge and and um, uh, know how is 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 bringing to the to the table. If you are not knowledgeable enough, you will not be able to buy the technology, and that's a fact, because they want to feel secure that you could you could take that on board and bring that into in in a safe manner, and it will be terrible if we've had you know a, a number of different um, accidents or, or um, incidents with, with hydrogen. It, it can't happen. So I, I think it's not only the hardware that's that's lim- that's limitation. It's the immaturity of the organisations. It's the immaturity of of the knowledge level, and that needs to be addressed. Acutely, uh, we've we've had a, a living lab, and, and Mr. Nilsson and, and Mrs. Nilsson opened up their home for well over seven thousand people, just to it's say the Guinness Book of World Records yeah. is the most visited house in the <laughs> Which world, which is sweet uh, and lovely, and says something about our DNA. I hope, but the the fact that we do that and and they are willing to do that has been important because it's this is what it is. It's it's all about. So it, it there's no smoke involved. There is no yes. It's still. A risk that needs to be managed, but but it's doable and it's there, and that's important. So uh, you've touched on um, safety, and safety usually means regulation. And above regulations, it's policy. You're uh, part of the European, the EU Hydrogen Clean Hydrogen Alliance, I think it's called, uh, and you're also part of the Swedish Hydrogen Council. Um, what do these alliances and councils do for the hydrogen sector? Under, underneath the commission, there has been the, the CEO roundtables, and we have been focusing on uh, from from the production of hydrogen up until the the transmission and the and the usage of, of hydrogen. I've been I've been very actively involved in the buildings uh, side of side of things. Um, it, it's actually setting up the framework for the uh, the legislation and, and and the red tape, if you like. Uh, but also, like I said, uh, have identified that that knowledge and know-how is extremely important, and how do we address that? The permitting side of things is extremely important. When we started off, there, there wasn't any, there, there weren't any references. There were references um, from within the industry fence, but we are now bringing hydrogen into to new settings, which means that all of a sudden there was insecurities about, oh, how, how this hasn't been done before. How, how should we make that? Uh, what, what kind of permitting? What kind of? What kind of? What kind of? So that acutely need to be addressed. And I would I would underscore the importance for India to to be be very um, forward leaning when it comes to education on this because if you if that that doesn't happen the permitting doesn't happen you may end up in 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 riskful situations and you you need to uh, avoid that as much as you can. If you look at hydrogen as a sector, the leaders in this sector today are the countries in Scandinavia. It's really Norway and Sweden and then the lower parts of Europe uh, geographically. I mean, Germany took it on, then France, and you know now you're starting to see a percolation across Europe. Um, suddenly, the rest of the world's woken up. You know, Australia has its own hydrogen policy. India has committed $54 billion to hydrogen, green hydrogen in the next uh, decade. 
Um, what is it about Scandinavia particularly that made hydrogen such a fertile plane so early in the piece? I don't know whether it is or not. <laughs> is it? <laughs> I, I suppose the 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 steel, the green steel, is, is a is a major factor, uh, and and obviously there are huge investment being being made. And or, honestly, the, the the whole of Sweden is being tipped upside down. It used to be that nobody, you know, that you left when you were young if you were born in the, the northern part of the, the country. Now, now you're moving back because it's such a, an immense amount of new people being pulled into two different uh, So I think that's, that's the same thing. But for me, it's large scale and it will happen, but there are so much things you could do in the meantime. And again, back to, to, to decentralize and what actually works. Uh, so we need to to do that as well. Um, there is an acute. We we have a, a we are a plus producer of electricity in, in Sweden, as an example. Uh, that isn't the the, the, the common knowledge. The common knowledge is that there is a there is a power lack, and there is a power. There is a power um, acute situation for for going green steel, not least. Uh, so you need to make sure and also bring in the renewable sector into the equation and the, and the provision of water into this. So you need to have, again, back to being knowledgeable about, about what hydrogen really is. Um, so you talked about permits and the need for countries to go leaning early into the, into the education to make sure that this can be facilitated. And for me, one of my worries is countries like India, and, and you know, you can include Indonesia and parts of Africa and that, um, would be slow to understand that and be the the opportunity to get permits is so complex for small scale. It's very easy for large scale um, because everybody understands large scale. Uh, but to get permits for a building to start to make its own hydrogen and to be off grid is going to be an incredibly complex thing for regulators to understand. Mm. Uh, they understand diesel, they understand generators, and a generator can be in a very unsafe condition anyway, and nobody has a problem with it. But to start talking about hydrogen then brings back the Hindenburg, and you, start, you know, we, we, as an industry, we're suffering because of the Zeppelin a hundred years later. Uh, what are the things that you have learned in Sweden that, that you know our audience in, in India could be aware of as an early learning on how regulators could be educated about permits and policies on small scale hydrogen yeah let, let me let me let me maybe answer you in this way so if, if there's a culture and, and an understanding of the large scale use that so you have local production and then you just emulate what what has been done always you, you maybe you should transport the, the the hydrogen so that you only have the the, the, the fuel cells at the at the different factories or, or, or whatever um, that could be done obviously you couldn't Utilize the, the footprint of every every factory to the same extent, um, but but if it, if there is a system that's working, make sure that that transport is emission free. So at least you you are beginning and you are doing stuff. I I don't just sit around and wait for things to happen because they won't. They won't. Uh, I think you need to to lead, and you need to lead by example. Um, and I I I am totally oblivious about about the Indian way of, of permitting, so I won't even want to, to venture into that because I, I don't I'm not knowledgeable enough um, but what I can say is that you need to have an example also for them so that somebody can pride themselves that I was the I was involved in the first permit when this in the A, B and C happened. Are you looking at India as a market? Do you think that there's a, it's too early in the piece for your technology? I think it's absolutely super and one of the reasons why, why I, I feel that we should really connect the, the world through hydrogen is, is the fact that it can bring other stuff as well, it can bring robustness and security. 
to to the infrastructure and the, the, the current grid and, and the provision of sanita sanitation and and water and all these things that the humanity needs. Um, Martina, you're part of uh, Women in Hydrogen, um, which is a, a, a great initiative, um, bringing together many women leaders globally in the hydrogen sector. Um, tell us a little bit about what Women in Hydrogen is and what you're doing. It's actually called Women in Green Hydrogen. Okay. So that's, that's a statement, and I, that's a, I think that's, that was important. It was an initiative that that was um, um, that came out of Germany. Uh, first, because there were a, lady, a few ladies there that were uh, facing uh, a situation where they, they felt they weren't really being heard or, or maybe that they they wanted to have different positions uh, and they felt that they could really contribute. And there are many skilled ladies in, in, in the industry. So it was a very small initiative that became quite large very fast. We are a very closely knit society around the world. I think now there are about 2,700, maybe 3,000 uh, women who have um, submitted their, their CV. So that you, you cannot argue that there aren't any ladies available uh, with, with who are knowledgeable, who have the, the background. So I think that is important. They're very, very actively involved, say when they are um, uh, at the, the hydrogen conferences and, and we, we, we really welcome and, and, and work with, with guys. <laughs> there are many guys who are, who are uh, supporting this and are, are part of that equation. So the the initiative is to bring together women who are working in green hydrogen or to open doors for more employment for women in green hydrogen? Both. Not least, if, if, if I am on, on the stages, which I, I am on occasion at these conferences, I tend to be the only lady there, um, or has been at least. Um, that That's growing and it's changing and I think it should because we have different perspectives. It's not about, it's not about gender, it's about what you can bring and the way you, your thought process and, and your, your experiences that you can bring to the table. So I think it, I, I, I love everybody on the planet, you know, it doesn't have to, it doesn't matter who, who you are, but obviously there is, there is a legacy there that needs to be addressed. Uh, so Martina, India and many countries in this region are now just starting their journey on the energy transition. Uh, many missteps in solar uh, 15 years ago, which led to a domination of Chinese products in the in the sector. Um, from your experience, having already seen it in a couple of countries, what are the steps that a country goes through in its transition from fossil fuels and hydrocarbon related energy to hydrogen? Yeah, I, I, I think that it is important um, that, that people realize. I think it starts from, from the ability and, and the willingness to store energy um, until it's needed in different applications. Uh, and also the fact that you can you can transport it. And that's one of the things that needs to be addressed as well is the transportation of, of hydrogen because that's a, not a given in every in any country. So, so um, again, the awareness uh, of the full value chain and how things intricately, uh, how, how things match in, in the equation is important because it has to be a process. It cannot just be addressed as a single single matter because it isn't. Um, on that subject, maybe also underline that it shouldn't be batteries or hydrogen because we need them both, but we need the right uh, amount of, 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 um, of batteries and electrolyzers and Storage, fuel cells yes. and storage mm -hmm. and compression and compression mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. One of the benefits of hydrogen though is 
it is easily stored at high uh, at high pressure. It can be blended with ammonia for transportation. It doesn't have to always be liquefied. It can be put into an existing gas pipeline. Replacing natural gas pipelines with hydrogen pipelines can be put into 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 a grid system. It can be reticulated. So, in many ways, the existing knowledge base on management of a gas already is something that can be very synergistically leveraged for the storage and distribution of hydrogen. Um, Martina, the question I wanted to pose to you uh, is about electric versus hydrogen. And I'll tell you why I ask this. I always smile when people start to fight about electric versus hydrogen because that means that opinions are forming mm. and you're starting to get these religious silos of, of Catholic versus Methodist, <laughs> you know, and so you've got electric versus battery or battery swap versus charge, and then you've got hydrogen versus electric, which means people are buying into the future of the energy transition and they're forming very certain opinions and that's a good thing. They might not be the right opinions, but it's a good thing. So quite often it's said electric is, if you were to use the analogy of the mobile phone era, you had the pages and then you had distributed mobile systems, GSM, CDMA, the Japanese system, and now everyone uses GSM, right? And everything else is history. And if you use the same analogy, it's often said EVs are the pager of this transition and the future is hydrogen. And everybody gets very violently angry about that. How do you see the future electric versus hydrogen? It's both electric mobility and should be treated as such. There's never going to be one solution for, for, for everything. Uh, EVs are super uh, in some instances. Um, hydrogen will be super when, when things are heavier and you need to shift a lot of, uh, a lot of load. Um, I, I think I'd leave that to the industry. They, they know all, all, all of this, but one has to realize that it's all electric mobility. So that catfight may be necessary for, for, for some reasons, but, but not, not for reality. Um, what I would add, though, is the fact that you, you should focus on the infrastructure. Because what if you have the best EVs of the world, but there isn't any power? So you need to have, again, the whole value chain approach. I'd be, I'd be a bit scared if I was in the automotive industry. I've, I've invested... Uh, a huge amount of money into my EV platform just to realize that, okay, guys, there is not sufficient power out there. Will I be selling my products? No, I will not. And this is where hydrogen comes into the equation because we can store energy until it's needed. So we can back up that lack of power. We could leverage. Again, make it up, uh, educate people so that they see this. And hopefully this, this podcast will at least been a smidgen to to <laughs> to to address that issue um i'm going to touch on a subject that uh, i know is close to your heart uh, heavily so and that is the present geopolitical situation with russia and ukraine and its impact on europe but more importantly whether this impact that it's having on europe is going to accelerate the energy transition to hydrogen and decentralization because it's brought front and center clear in the minds of leaders and politicians how reliant we are on very unstable supply chains in these unstable times. I believe so. And I believe so for good reasons. And I believe so for all the questions I'm being asked and the and the discussions I'm being included into. So I believe that. And it's a very forward-leaning situation underneath uh, Ursula von der Leyen currently. Uh, it's very forward-leaning, much more so than I would have thought. It's, it's running quite fast. And, and, I, and the, the serious side of this, which is always so sad, is that people are suffering immensely. Um, and if, if this could bring any, any 
any good uh, out of all of this, it will be amazing. Um, but it's a sad reason why it's happening. Um, but I think security and robustness, and we haven't even started to mention how we need to secure these systems when we develop them in a safe manner and, and how they should be protected from a, from a data perspective. That's something I would, I would love for there to be a, a hydrogen and a security alliance. So you realize that, that we are providing so much opportunities for the current infrastructure and society. I, I, I was at a hydrogen conference, I think it was um, six months ago, and one of the things that surprised me was that there were three uh, delegates there who were from the FBI. And um, after a few glasses of wine, we decided to corner them to find out what they were doing here. But they were, they were there essentially on the very subject you touched on, which was security of supply chains and understanding what it means for the industry and to learn how the industry works to be able to contribute on, on securing supply chains. So it's very interesting that the world has moved to the point where, you know, uh, even the security agencies are now very actively thinking about securing energy supply chains. So it's a very, very important point to make. Martina Wetten, always a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you very much for coming all the way from Sweden to the Artemis studio of Energizing India. Look forward to having you back here again soon and safe travels through your journeys in India. Thank you, an amazing experience and thank you for having me. I'm your host for this episode, Ravin Mirchandani. But I would not be here without the amazing Energizing India podcast team. Onkar, our podcast director and the man who makes it all happen in the end, much like a big fat grand Indian wedding, bringing together the research data and attention to details, all in the timelines to get the next episode out on time. Three Vikram, our podcast co-host and head of research, and Sunil, who along with me is executive producer of our program. The Energizing India podcast is an Ador Digatron production, giving a voice to the EV industry in India. If you enjoyed listening to us today, make sure to follow us on whatever platform you are listening on, whether it's Spotify, Apple iTunes, or our own portal, energizingindia.tv. Thank you very much, and see you on the next episode.